Colossians. Certainly the Lord has worked this out in a great way as we've been studying through Colossians chapter number one. And there's a spot in Colossians chapter one that we passed over a few weeks ago. And we're going to get back to that here today and talk a little bit about love this morning from Colossians chapter number one. Something, an area of our lives that we ought to be always abounding in is love. And we've been talking about some things in our life that we need to be abounding in. And love is one of those subjects. And we're going to talk about it this morning here from Colossians chapter 1 in our Bibles this morning. Look with me if you would. In Colossians chapter 1, I want you to go up to verse 3. Now, I say go up to verse 3 because we've been kind of centering our messages the last couple uh, Sunday mornings uh, from verse 9 and following. Well, we're going to deal with a little bit more of the earlier part of Colossians chapter 1 this morning. Let's look at verse number 3, and then uh, we'll look at verse number 4, and then a couple verses after that to uh, be able to uh, use as a, a springboard to get into the message this morning. And we're going to talk this morning about always abounding in love and what the Bible has to say about love. Now, remember in Colossians chapter 1, uh, this is Paul writing to the church of Colossae while he is in prison at Rome. And so he is writing this as one of his prison epistles. He, is, he has been delivered a message, and we're going to get to that in just a minute, by uh, one of the faithful leaders there. And uh, the, the Bible tells us that that faithful leader gives encouragement to Paul. He, he shares good news about the church of Colossae, and it leads Paul to a scripture uh, from verse 9 down to verse number 14 where he's praying for the church of Colossae. And we've learned a lot through those verses, and we'll kind of review that and highlight that a little bit here in just a moment. But we've learned in Colossians chapter 1 some areas that we need to be abounding in. And then the, the blessings that come as a result of abounding in the things of God. God has blessings for us if we're willing to abound in these things that he desires that we be abounding in as Christians. And so, so far in verse number 9, we learn that we're to be always abounding in the knowledge of God. And we narrowed that down to some specific things that we saw there in verse 9. We're to be abounding in the knowledge of God's will and then also in wisdom, and then in spiritual understanding. And then in verse number 10, we've talked about two things that we need to be always abounding in. Last week, we talked about being always abounding in our walk that is worthy of the Lord. So we need to have a walk that is worthy of the Lord. And then in the end of verse number 10, it talks about how that we need to be pleasing to God. So we're always abounding in pleasing the Lord. And by the way, that's one of our desires for our church services. That our church services would be pleasing to God. We, we certainly don't want it to be in our own strength or our own power or trying to rely upon ourselves. We want God to get the honor. We want God to get the glory while we're here in our services. So that everything that's done is pleasing to the Lord. I think today the congregational singing was pleasing to the Lord. I think today the opportunity we've had to hear the choir sing and the special music, the ladies that just sang, that was pleasing to the Lord, wasn't it? Uh, that wasn't pleasing to our flesh. That was pleasing to our spirit, wasn't it? And, and, and the things of the Lord. And so we want our worship to be that way. We want our lives to bring a pleasure to the Lord, to be pleasing to the Lord. But today we're going to talk about always abounding in love. Look with me if you would at verse number 3. The Bible says this in verse number 3. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I've heard of your love. I've heard of the love that you've had. Now, did you notice how 
how far-reaching this love was. In verse number 4, the Bible says this love was for all the saints. Not just some of the saints. Uh, Paul specifically says the church of Colossae has shown love to all of the saints. And by the way, that's the way we need to be. To show love to all of the saints. Show love one for another. We'll talk about that a little bit as we go throughout our message time today. That our love ought to be for all, not just for a select few. And I'm thankful that at our church, I truly believe that that's our spirit of love. We have a love for everyone. It doesn't matter who steps foot in this door. Uh, the door of God's church, we want to show love to them. It doesn't matter what uh, a social status they may have or uh, maybe a, a where, they, where they have come from or what their color is. We're showing love to everybody, aren't we? Because that's what Jesus did. And he says, I'm admiring you. Man, I've been delivered some good news that you've had love for all the saints. Now look down, if you would, at verse number 8. Verse number 8. Well, I tell you what, we'll read verse number 7 to help us with the context. He says, as ye also learned of Epaphras... Our dearly, uh, excuse me, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. Remember, we said he was a faithful servant. He may have even been the pastor of the Church of Colossae, but he's delivered some good news. What news did he deliver? This is what we're where we want to center our message on this morning. Look down, if you would, at verse number eight. He says, "Who also declared unto us your now the last four words is what we really want to concentrate on this morning, your love in." The Spirit. So number two, not only did he say you have love for all saints, but number two, he says you have love in the Spirit. Uh, can I say this about Christian love? Christian love is not a manufactured love, but instead it is a work of the Holy Spirit that lives in our lives. It's not just something we're just going to manufacture up, but it's because we have the Holy Spirit living in us and He gives us the ability to love. And we're going to talk about that throughout this day. Matter of fact, that is one of the evidences of the fact that we are a Christian. If we're able to have love. So this church was characterized by love. May it be said, as I just mentioned a moment ago, that our church is characterized by love. We have love for all not just a select group, not to just say, well, we're just comfortable with what we've got here and not trying to reach out to others. We're trying to reach out to everyone, aren't we, with the gospel message. And we want to have a love for all because that's what Jesus did, didn't he? He had a love for everybody. For God so loved the world, everyone in the world. And we'll talk about that verse, John chapter 3 and verse number 16 here in just a moment. But I want us to notice three things that we see in these four words here at the end of Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 8 that I hope will encourage you today. Remember the last four words, love in the Spirit. The first thing I want us to notice, I want us to look at the word love for a moment. And I want us to notice, number one, the description of love. The description of love. The word love there that's found in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 8 is a word that we would use to describe love and we would say it is an agape love. It's an agape love. Now, there's three different types of love that we see in the Bible. The first one is a love that we would say is a phileo love. The phileo love is a love that is a brotherly love or a friendly love. So if we're saying we have a phileo love, as we see it at times in the Bible, described as a brotherly love or a friendly love. Now, that's, uh, that, that's what they say about the uh, uh, city of Philadelphia, right? The city of Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. And they sure do love one another there, don't they? 
the city of Philadelphia. You never hear any uh, bad reports about the city of Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. I had, I had somebody tell me uh, years ago, I remember hearing somebody say that they referred to it as the city of brotherly shove instead of brotherly love. But we get that word for that, uh, get that term from that word Philadelphia. Again, described as the city of brotherly love. We'll see how well they love each other if they lose the Super Bowl tonight. We'll see how well the city of Philadelphia does with that. But the, uh, the phileo love, the brotherly love, or the friendly love. But then you have an ero, uh, eros love. And uh, when the Bible describes an eros love, it's talking about a physical love. Or what we would think of more of a, of a physical or a, or a sexual type description of the word love. But then we get to that agape love. Now that word agape is a love that is unconditional. It is a sacrificial love. So we would take that third description of love, that agape love, and we would say that's an unconditional love. That is a sacrificial love. That's the word love that you see here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 8. That's the description of this word love. It's not a brotherly love. It's not an eros love, a physical love. But instead, he's referring to an agape love. He said, this is the way that you love people in the church of, of Colossae. You love them with an unconditional love. You love them with a sacrificial love. Can I say that this is the love that describes God's love for us? He loved us with an agape love. And by the way, it also is a description not only of the love that God has for us, but it is also a description of the love which the Holy Spirit produces in the heart of a surrendered child of God. So you say, well, wait a minute. You're saying that God is not the only one that can love with an agape love? We understand that his love is supreme above all other loves. And there's no way that we could ever match the love of God. But the Holy Spirit can produce in our hearts, though, an agape love. We can have an unconditional and a sacrificial love. But it's only going to happen, and we're going to talk about this throughout the morning, it's only going to happen as the Holy Spirit produces that in the heart of a surrendered child of God. You've got to be surrendered. You've got to be submitted to Him. And then He says, I'm willing to produce in your heart and your life an agape love, an unconditional love, a love which sacrifices one's self for the person that they love. Now, maybe you could even think in your heart of individuals that you would say, I would be able to say that I would have this agape type love for, an unconditional love, a sacrificial love for them where I would be able to sacrifice of myself for the person that I love. The word agape, to describe the word love, it's an action word, isn't it? Love is an action word, isn't it? Love proves itself not by what we say so much, but by what we do. We can say that we have love, but it really is proved by our actions. And that's where we get to the thought of what Jesus Christ did for us when he showed unconditional and sacrificial love for us. I told you we'd get back to John 3.16. What a great verse to prove that truth, that love is an action word. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He didn't just say he loved us, right? He proved it by what he did. The Bible says in John chapter 15 and verse number 13, it says, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. See, he didn't just say that he loved us. 
He proved it by laying his life down for us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8, but God commendeth his love toward us. Now that word commendeth has the idea of he proved it or he demonstrated or he showed it. Now how did he prove or demonstrate his love and show his love for us? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't just say it with his mouth that he loved us. Although with God that would be enough proof. But he did something. He proved it by action. He died for the sinner. I want you real quickly, if you would, to turn to 1 John chapter number 4. I know Brother Terry has read some of these verses this morning, but I think they'll help us so much if we turn there. Look at 1 John chapter number 4, and look with me, if you would, at the description of God's love for us, this agape love that God desires for us to have. Look at what 1 John chapter 4 says. Look down, if you would, at verse number, once you found that, verse number 9. It says this, in this was manifested, or that word manifested has the idea it's made known. God proved it. God demonstrated. God showed it. He manifested his love toward us. So notice what it says. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Now here's the verse we're memorizing. Verse 10, herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus was the sacrifice for us so that we could have hope of heaven. So he didn't just say he loved us. He proved it. Look down at verse number 16, if you would. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So what's it saying there? He's saying this love has been made known to us, and we even got to the place where we believed in the love of God. So it's not just by what we have heard, but he proved his love to us and caused us to believe his love by what he did for us. And I think we would acknowledge in our human minds, really that's how we get to a place in believing one another's love today. It's not just in what we hear, but at times when individuals will show or demonstrate or manifest, prove their love to us. And that's what Jesus did for us. It caused us to believe, didn't it? It caused us to put our trust and our faith in him because of what he did to prove his love. And then let's talk a little bit more about the love of God that he has for us and how this is an agape love. Look at Romans chapter 8, if you would. Romans chapter 8, and when you found Romans chapter 8, if you would go down to verse number 35. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 35. Notice this about the love that God has for us. It says, who shall separate us from the love of God? The love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? The question there is, who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Is this a love where we can be separated or pulled apart from the love that God has for us? Well, skip a few verses and look down at verse number 38. He says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God had a love for us that was so powerful that we can never be separated from the love of God. I love what Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3 says. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse number 3, the prophet Jeremiah says these words, that God has loved us with an everlasting love. It's a love that will never go away. No man 
can separate us from the love of God. But then, may we prove our love for one another by having this type of agape love. Look with me, if you would, at some verses that challenge us with that. Would you turn to Galatians chapter 5 for a moment? Galatians chapter 5, and look down at verse number 13, and notice in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 13 how that we can prove that we have love one for another, this agape-type love. Again, the description of this love in Colossians chapter 1 verse 8, it's an agape love. It's an unconditional, a sacrificial love. How do we prove that we have love one for another? Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says this, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty... Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love, notice the last three words, serve one another. How do you prove that you love somebody? It's not just about your words, it's about action. So today, if we want to have this agape-type love that's described for us, in a minute we'll talk about the Spirit, because the Holy Spirit gets into this as well. But if we want to have this agape-type love, and we want to be able to prove that we have agape-type love for one another, we're going to be willing to serve one another. You're going to be willing to give. It's an action. You're going to be willing to give of even yourself to show that you have love one for another. And then John chapter 13. I know I'm having you turn to a few verses, but John chapter 13, I want us to look at verse number one. I want us to show how Jesus described his love. Look at how he described his love in John chapter 13. Now remember what we just read. How are we going to show love? We're going to serve one another. Would you be... Would you be uh, willing to admit today. I think we all would be willing to admit if we've studied the Bible at all, we'd be willing to admit that Jesus is our greatest example in every area. He is our greatest example in every area in his earthly ministry. All oh, the examples he left us one after another. Well, here's a powerful example. John chapter 13, verse number one, it says this, now before the feast of the Passover. Now this is to a place where Jesus is about ready to go to the cross now. He's about ready to go to that garden and pray and be taken away and go to the cross. Look at what it says. When Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Now notice this. Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. To the very last possible moment while he was here on earth, he loved them to the end. And notice how he proved it. Would you skip down with me to verse number four and notice what it says. He he's riseth, excuse me, from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wash them with the towel wherewith he was girded. He did not just say he loved them, he proved it. By washing the feet of the disciples. You say, well, what was Jesus doing there? He was serving one another. And that's what God asks us with an agape type love. To be willing to serve those that are around us. And to prove our love by our willingness to serve others that are around us. And I'm so thankful for a church that proves its love by serving others that are around us. I'm thankful for Sunday school teachers that served children this morning. I'm thankful for bus workers that got up this morning and served others to prove that they love them. Not by just saying, well, we love you, we care for you, we're a church that loves you. But no, we prove it by action, by serving one another. And what a challenge Jesus gives us in the love that he shows. And then notice with me, if you would, 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're talking about this agape type love and this love that we ought to have in our hearts. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and look down if you would at verse number 12. We're to be an example, he says, of the believers. 
How are we to be an example of the believers? Look at what he says. Let no man despise thy youth. This is Paul talking here to Timothy, his young son in the faith. And he said, uh, Paul, he said, Timothy, don't let anybody look down on your faith. But he said, instead, he said, in order to be an example of the believers, there are some things you're going to have to do. And notice what he tells Timothy. He says, but be thou an example of the believers in word. Now, we could talk about every one of these, but for sake of time, we won't. He says, in conversation, and then notice the next one, in charity. Be an example of a believer when people see the way you love. Not just in what you say, but how you love. May we love one another. May we, may we prove our love by our willingness to even serve one another. That's what God desires for his children, that we have an agape type love. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, I'm going to read verse number 18. If you'd listen as I read 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 18, the Bible says this. My little children, listen to the words. Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We love again and show our love and demonstrate our love, not by just what comes out of our tongue and through our words, but in deed, and he says, in truth. Just like a parent would show that they have a love for their child by caring for their child. Just like a spouse would for one another. God says, I want it to be true of all of the, your love that you demonstrate towards everyone. That you are described. The description of your love is that it is an agape love. It is an unconditional. It is a sacrificial love. So when we talk about the description of our love this morning, number one, would you describe your love as an agape love, one for another? Are you willing to demonstrate and prove that love by serving one another? Do we have agape love? Would that characterize our church today? We want it to characterize our, our, ourselves as individuals and then as families, but would it characterize our church as a whole today? And we would say we have an agape type love. Would that be a description of our love today? But number two, I want you to notice the direction of love. Number one, we saw the description of love, an agape love. But number two, I want you to notice the direction of love. Go back with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. By the way, mark that passage because we'll look at it for the last two thoughts here this morning. Colossians chapter 1 and notice verse number 8 again. Now we're going to take another, ver another word excuse me, from the end of this verse and we're going to try to make application now this morning. So number one, we took the word love. We talked about the description of love. Number two, I want us to look at the word in and I want us to notice the direction of love. Notice the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 8, Who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Your love in the Spirit. What is the direction of our love? That word in there in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 8 has the idea of in the sphere or in the atmosphere of. So in the sphere or in the atmosphere of. Probably one of the greatest illustrations we could use that might help us to understand what we mean by this and what Paul means by this is the idea of a fish. Now, there might be some that are fishermen here today. Now, I've had times where I have fished, but it's not a hobby I guess I would uh, go to. But some may perhaps be fishermen. I know Braden's a good fisherman sitting back there. I know he's a good fisherman. Think about a fish today. In what atmosphere is a fish most alive? Water. We, we know that, right? We know that a fish is most alive in the atmosphere of water. So in water, what does a fish do? They function as God has intended for them to function. 
when you take them out of the water, they cannot function the way that God has intended for them to function. Can I say that's the same for believers? Now, may we ask ourselves that question today. In what sphere or atmosphere would we say today, just like we gave the illustration of the fish, in what sphere or atmosphere today as a child of God are we most alive? And the answer to that would be this. As we are submitting ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit in every thought and every word and every deed. We're doing what we do in the power of God. That's how we are most alive and striving to serve the Lord in that sphere or in the atmosphere of the leading of the Holy Spirit as we are submitted to Him. We are then, just like the fish functions the best in the water, we are functioning the best we can as Christians, as God intended for us to function, as we are submitted to the Holy Spirit of God and His leading and His guiding and His direction in our lives. We use the word, matter of fact, the Bible uses the word, we're to be filled with the Spirit. We're to be in the sphere or in the atmosphere of the control and the power of the Holy Spirit at all times as Christians. Because if we're not filled with the Spirit, that means something else is in the Holy Spirit's place. So every single day, we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So the Bible tells this. He uses the word filled. He says, be not drunk with wine, where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And that is a word, that word filled there, is a word that shows continuous action. Which means it's something that's supposed to happen every day. We get up, we get up in the morning and we say, Lord, we need, I need you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. So I have the power and the strength and the grace of God to do your will and your work in my life today. That's the only way I'm going to be able to do it. The way that a Christian, a child of God, functions and is most alive is when we are in the sphere and the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit's controlling in our lives as we are submitted to Him. So number one, we saw the description of our love. We saw the direction of our love in the sphere or in the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. And then notice, lastly, number three, I want you to notice to, uh, this morning, the dwelling of love. Number three, the dwelling of love. We saw the description of love. It needs to be an agape type love. We saw the direction of love. It needs to be in the sphere or the atmosphere of our submission to the Holy Spirit. But then number three, I want you to notice the dwelling of love. Look back, if you would, at Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 8. We're going to look at the last two words. The last two words in Colossians chapter 1, verse 8 say this. Who also declared unto us your love. Now notice the last uh, two words. In and then look. The Spirit. So we want us to notice as we finish today the dwelling of love. As we are dwelling in the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how do I dwell in the Holy Spirit? All right, that's a fancy way of, of saying what I need to do in my life. All right, so how am I to dwell in the Holy Spirit? That means that we're surrendered to the Holy Spirit. We're controlled by the Holy Spirit, God who lives within us. And then as he is dwelling in us, so we are dwelling in him, he is dwelling in us. And so there, as that happens, we will be dwelling in love. So we'll put all that together. As we are dwelling in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we are dwelling in love. So the dwelling of love, the fact that as we dwell in the Holy Spirit and He's dwelling in us, He's living in us, He's controlling us, we're submitted to Him, then we are dwelling in the love that the Holy Spirit desires for us to have. Now a genuine love for God and a genuine love for His Word is produced only by the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is the only one that can produce a genuine love in our heart for God and a genuine love in our heart for His Word and a genuine heart in a, a love in our heart for others that are around us as well. And can I say this? As we are surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God, that love will continually grow. Just like your love for perhaps your spouse, your children, you would say that's a love that has grown, right? It doesn't stay the same. It's a love that grows. And I think we would be able to acknowledge that today in our human minds. We can understand that. That's a love that grows. Well, as we're dwelling in the Holy Spirit of God, He dwells in us. We'll be dwelling in love and it will continually grow in our heart. So this love has no boundaries. Aren't you thankful for that? You can have a love for God that has no boundaries. You can have a love for His Word that has no boundaries. You can have a love one for another that has no boundaries. And you don't have to worry about setting limits or drawing lines. God says, I want that love to be a love that is continually growing. So let's notice a couple Bible verses. Look with me, if you would, at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And while we look at these verses, may we be mindful of the fact that this is what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in our lives. He dwells within us when we're saved, and this is what he wants to produce in our lives. Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse number 5. It says this, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. What does the Bible very clearly tell us there in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 5? That we have love that comes from the Holy Spirit of God, which the Bible says God has given to us. So he gives the Holy Spirit to us, and then because we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God and we are dwelling in the Holy Spirit, the Bible says it helps us to have a love that flows out to others. So the Holy Spirit places this love in our hearts. And he doesn't want this love just to stay in our hearts, but he wants us to do with this love exactly what I mentioned a moment ago. He wants it to flow through us and out of us to even other believers that need to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Look with me, if you would, at Galatians chapter 5. These are some verses that talk about the love that the Holy Spirit of God has given to us. Galatians chapter 5. Look down, if you would, at verse number 22. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 22. The Bible says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Look at the first one. The fruit of the Spirit. You say, what is the fruit of the Spirit? These are character traits that the Holy Spirit puts into our lives as God's people. Character traits that he wants us to have. The first one that's mentioned on there is love. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in our lives. Character traits that he wants to give to us is love. So fruit is a result of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And that first fruit mentioned there is the fruit of love. And can I say this? I've often said this about this list of fruit. These character traits that are mentioned here. There's nine of them in verse 22 and verse number 23. And the key to all of the other fruit of the Spirit is the word love. I, I've said it this way before. Love is the root of all the other fruit. If we have love in our lives, that's first and foremost. If we have love, that will be the key to all of these other character traits that God wants us to have in our lives. But if we do not love like we should then all those other traits that God wants us to possess in our lives will not be possessing the way that God wants us to. Let's prove this really quickly. Would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, some of us know this to be the great love chapter. 
And we've got descriptions of love that are written all throughout 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. And I want to real quickly show you real quickly here how that these character traits of love are really seen in the fruit of the Spirit. Let's go back to the fruit of the Spirit for just a moment. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. There's nine of them there. But remember what we said, love is the key. Love is the root by which we produce all the other fruit. Let's prove it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and look at what verse number 1 says. The Bible says this, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. He says, verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Did you notice he says, if you don't have charity, you really become as nothing. That's why we would say love is the key to all the other fruit. You've got to have love. That is first and foremost. I could have faith, but without love, it really doesn't mean a whole lot. I could say a whole lot of words out of my mouth, but if I don't have love, it doesn't mean a whole lot. I can have a whole lot of knowledge, he says, right? I can have a whole lot of knowledge. I can have a whole lot of wisdom. But if I don't have love that accompanies that knowledge and that wisdom, it really doesn't mean a whole lot. So notice what he says in verse number 6. He says, love, and each time he's mentioning love here, love rejoiceth not in iniquity. With that word rejoiceth has the idea or helps us to understand what joy is, right? Isn't that one of the fruit of the Spirit? Joy. Love rejoiceth not in iniquity. Notice what it says, but rejoiceth in the truth. So if you love, you're going to have joy in your heart, aren't you? But then look with me, if you would, at verse number 5. Verse number 5, it says this, does not uh, behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. Look at this, is not easily provoked. Is not easily provoked. Remember the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Peace. Think about what we just heard about love there. Love is not easily provoked, meaning love tries to create peace. It doesn't try to create conflict. If you love somebody, you're not going to try to be in conflict with them, right? You're going to try to create peace. And that's what God's saying. If we have love, we'll be able to have the peace we ought to have. Look at verse number four. The Bible says this, charity suffereth long. Charity suffereth long. Hold on now. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That's the fruit of the Spirit, right? What does the Bible say love does? It suffers long, meaning it takes a long time to boil. Love is long-suffering. Love has the ability to be patient. See, if we have love, we'll have all the other fruits in our lives. Look with me, if you would, at verse number four again. It says, charity suffereth long and is kind. What's the next fruit of the Spirit? It's the word gentleness, which has the idea of kindness, doesn't it? Be ye kind one to another. Well, what does the Bible say? Love produces kindness in our hearts. Look with me, if you would, down at verse number 5. The Bible says, Do not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Well, the next fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of goodness. When we're thinking about this thought of thinking no evil, it means it forgets past offenses. It doesn't harbor evil. It's not continually dwelling on evil, but instead on goodness. And by the way, there's a willingness to forgive as well. And aren't you glad God forgave you? Let's finish that verse we just started a minute ago. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. There's goodness in our life as we are loving the way that we should and we're willing to forgive. But then look with me, if you would, at verse number 7. It says this, beareth all things, believeth all things. What's the next fruit of the Spirit? Faith. 
Love helps us to believe. Love helps us to put our faith in the way that it, in, in God the way that it should and put our trust in Him. Remember what it said at the start of the verse, at the start of the chapter? You can have all faith, but if you don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. Love helps us to have the faith the way that we should and believe the way that we should. Look at verse number four, if you, if you would. It says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. And then it says it is not puffed up. It doesn't brag on itself. It doesn't try to push itself forward. What's the next fruit of the Spirit? Meekness, which has the idea of humility. Humble people aren't bragging on themselves, aren't they? Are they? They're not trying to push themselves forward. And then look at the same thought of humility in verse number 5. It says, doth not behave itself unseemly. I'm sorry, in verse number 5 it says, doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, meaning it's not proud. Again, there's meekness, there's humility in love. But then back to verse number 5, the Bible says, "...that not behave itself unseemly." The idea of the last fruit of the Spirit, which is temperance. What is temperance? Temperance is self-control, isn't it? What's saying here, if we have love, we won't behave ourselves unseemly, which means we have control over our behavior. We'll be able to have self-control in our lives if we're loving the way that God would have us to love so he's saying, what is, the, what is the dwelling of our love? We're to dwell in the Holy Spirit of God, and as he dwells in us, he will allow this love to dwell in us and go out from us even into other people as well. So the Spirit of God helps us to love as the Christian that God desires us to, to, as, as he desires us to show love as a Christian. Now, what are the ways the Word of God tells us that we're to love? As we finish the message this morning, what are the ways that God tells love? Number one, we ought to have love for God, right? Love for God. By the way, that love for God ought to be supreme. It ought to be above all others. The Bible says we're to love the Lord with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. Every part of our being loves God. By the way, as we're dwelling in the Holy Spirit of God, He is dwelling in us. That love that we ought to have for God will be able to dwell in us. Again, Love in the Spirit. He'll help us to produce the love that we ought to have for God. So let's love God with every part of our being. To be a Christian that's demonstrating agape love to the God who loved us. We love Him unconditionally. We love Him sacrificially. That love has to come first. And can I say this? Our ability to love others... And to have the other kinds of love that we ought to have always is based upon our love for God. Which means that every other love that we have will not be what it should if we're not starting by having a love that we ought to have for God. Remember what in the book of Revelation Jesus said, God said to the church of, of Ephesus? Remember what he said? You have left, he says, your first love. There was a love you used to have. And you've left that first love. Those original motivations that you had or the original affection that you have. Let's make sure our love for God is what it should be. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, and verse number 19, we talked about it a little bit today already. We love Him because He first loved us. So a love for God, but then we also ought to have a love for others. The Bible says right after it tells us to have a love for God with all of our being, it says, and love thy neighbor as thyself. We ought to have a love one for another. The Bible says in John chapter 13 and verse number 35, he says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. 
John chapter 15 and verse number 12, it says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. All throughout 1 John chapter number 4, and Brother Terry read it for us this morning, all throughout chapter number, uh, uh, 1 John chapter number 4, we see over and over again that we're to have a love one for another. And as we have a love one for another, it will be an evidence or it will be a proof of the fact that we are a Christian and we have a love for God in our hearts as well. Then the Bible very clearly tells us another example of love, another area of love that ought to be true in the lives of believers. Very clearly, the Bible says that husbands ought to love their wives. And let's think about that this morning, right? Husbands ought to love their wives. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself for it. Again, an unconditional love, an agape love, a sacrificial love that husbands would love their wives. May we as husbands today evaluate in our hearts the love that we have for our wives. God gives us the commandment that we are to love our wives. The Bible says to love our wives, husbands, as we would our own self. For no man ever yet hateth his own self, but instead he, the Bible says, cherisheth. He takes care of himself, doesn't he? Men, we have no problem trying to take care of ourselves. The Bible says that's the way we ought to love our wives as we would our own selves. So God gives the command that we're to love God. We're to love others that are around us. And again, an evidence of the fact that we're saved, an evidence of the fact that we're loving God the way that we should. And then to love our wives, husbands, that's a good evidence of the fact that we're loving God the way that we should. When we love our wives the way that we should. And then the Bible says in the book of Matthew, and this is the challenging one, we're to love even our enemies. Even our enemies. Even those that persecute you, and the Bible says, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Now again, wasn't Jesus the perfect example of that? He loved even those that did not return love to him. He loved us even when we were unlovely. We were unlovable. We had sin in our hearts, and yet he still loved us. And the example that he gives to us is that we're to love even our enemies, even those that have done us hurt or harm, those that have tried to even say things about us that they shouldn't have said. So the questions today, as we draw our message to a close, the questions today by way of application in the message, may we always be abounding in this agape love that God wants to put in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. He wants to produce this love. And where ought that love be directed to? God Others that are around us, husbands, we've got that command right from the word of God. Love our wives, love even our enemies. May we be always abounding in this agape love that God wants to produce in our hearts through the Holy Spirit of God. And then may we live in such a way that we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God so he can produce this love in our hearts. You say, well, I don't know that I can honestly say this morning that my heart has this kind of love. Are you desiring to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God so that he can produce it in your life? Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is love. He wants us to have love. He's, again, by his Holy Spirit. He wants to produce this love for us by the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. So may we be filled and controlled with the Holy Spirit of God enough that we would say, this is a love that I want to have in my heart as the Holy Spirit produces it for God, for his word, for others. For husbands, husbands, for your wives, for even our enemies. May God produce this love. May we be always abounding in love. And by the way, may we demonstrate that love by our willingness to share the gospel with others. We love people enough to say, I want to point you to Jesus. I love people enough to say, I want to tell you what you need to hear instead of what you want to hear. I want to try to point you to the one 
that someone pointed me to. And let's allow the Holy Spirit to produce this love in our lives that we may be always abounding in love for God, for others, for even our enemies, for the Word of God. May we be always abounding in love. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter number 1. I thank you, Lord, this, week, uh, this year, at the start of this year, uh, using this passage to encourage my heart and allowing me to uh, 